The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. While the COVID-19 pandemic rages like an out-of-control range fire across the country, including three of the most of the four most populous states in the union, California, followed by Florida and Texas, and at the rate we're going, Florida might pass California. The economic relief offered by the CARES Act runs out on July 31st, leaving millions of unemployed Americans in desperate straits. In addition to $600 a week in extra unemployment benefits uh, across the country, the national moratorium on evictions also expires this coming Friday, as does the national moratorium on foreclosures. Now, mind you, several states have taken action to protect their residents from these circumstances, but the majority of states have not. And what is Congress doing to help so far? Just a lot of arguing. And where is the president in the negotiations? Giving daily briefings of COVID-19 happy talk about vaccines and more testing, uh, claiming we test too much, that we wouldn't have as many cases if we didn't test so much. Um, You know, somehow I, I don't, get that ratio of tests to ICU uh, beds, but um, it's more yada, yada, yada. And where is the president as millions and millions of Americans worry about where their next meal or their next rent payment is coming from as these benefits expire? He's at Bedminster, his New Jersey golf club uh, playing golf. So while you, a waiter, a waitress perhaps, wonder how you will keep the lights on and food on the table next week, the president's playing golf at Bedminster. You were not laid off for cause or even because your business was failing. You were laid off because we're in the middle of the biggest national crisis, bigger probably than the Great Great Depression, nothing like this has happened in a century. And even if we were to say the Great Depression was the biggest crisis, let me, in a, let, me let you in on a little secret, and that is Donald J. Trump ain't no FDR. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. And keeping Americans in their homes and food in their children's stomachs in the midst of a global pandemic is definitely a problem we can solve. It's a problem we need to solve urgently. When the president, following the lead of California and then New York, took the unprecedented but prudent step of shutting down most of the country to slow the spread of the virus in March, 
we were told it would bend the curve. Bending the curve, we were told, would keep our health system from collapsing under the weight of this vast spreading serious viral infection. A gift to the world from our friends in China. President Xi failed miserably in containing the outbreak within China. Or maybe, perhaps, he didn't fail at all. When it comes to China, it's hard to overestimate their capacity for duplicity and mischief. But back to the shutdown. I was one who thought that the, the programs like the Paycheck Protection Act and increased unemployment benefits and direct FEMA support for public health needs were all great ideas. The way it was described to we lay people, we little you know, we, we the vast peasantry of America by our royal masters. The way it was described was that it would allow small and medium businesses, which are 80% of the U.S. economy, let that one sink in. No, Apple is not 80% of the U.S. economy. Small and medium businesses are 80% of the U.S. economy. 80% of the jobs in this country. And so what we were told was that the PPE program would allow small and medium businesses to continue to pay their employees their wages and make all the necessary payroll deductions, et cetera, just as though they were working. It would pay, give, give these small and medium business owners money to pay their landlords, their rent, et cetera until the level of COVID transmission was under control and they could safely start up again, just as though the intervening months had never occurred. If you've ever seen the movie Brigadoon, and it is a charming, if, if now antiquated film, um, that's what you get. You're, you're walking in the 20th century across the moors of Scotland and suddenly opens the clouds and you're in this 18th century village called Brigadoon and everybody's got doubloons in their pockets to pay for their beer at the tavern and at the end of the movie you walk back into the 20th century. Well if the way the PPE program was described to us would have been like Brigadoon everything would just open and the money would flow and everything would be fine. Well, the problem is, and, and that was actually rational and possible. If everybody was singing from the same script, uh, song sheet, or speaking from the same script, or acting from the same script, to carry my movie analogy just a step further. The problem is that those high sounding promises had three fatal flaws. The first was, the failure at every level of our government from the White House to too, way too many state houses to way too many cities never stopped and asked themselves the simple question, what if? The most important part of any plan is what if? What if the pandemic, pandemic is not over by July? 
What if warm weather does not impact its transmissibility or lethality? What if we can't bend the curve sufficiently to reopen our economy safely by July? Well, then what's the contingency plan? Nobody thought about that. The failure to think beyond the ends of their congressional noses, that's the second reason, or maybe, we should say the second reason that this program failed was that they didn't want to see beyond the most important thing to their congressional noses was their congressional primary season and what the White House was saying. Congress delegated the implementation of the CARES Act and the distribution of $3 trillion in stimulus funds, $3 trillion with a T, to the anonymous, unaccountable, unelected bureaucracy, and to an openly corrupt, corrupt administration. I mean, specifically, they delegated to the Secretary of the Treasury. Now, Steve mentions a lot of things, but an honest bureaucrat, he ain't. And the bureaucrats, in turn, delegated we got to do this quick. We haven't got time. We got to do this quick. So they delegated the lending authority and the lending criteria to the banks. And the banks, with a bushel of money to distribute, rewarded their customers, mainly the big guys, rather than the mom and pop businesses that needed that help. There was supposed to be a special inspector general to oversee this. They put that in the legislation. But if you really believed, given the Trump administration's record on inspector generals, that that was going to happen, well, I have a bridge in the Yukon. It's about 110 years old, but I got to tell you, you can drive a Sherman tank over it. So what really happened was zero inspector general, zero accountability. And when it came to the really big bailouts, the treasury dealt directly with the lobbyists, the airline industry, for example. And the third fatal flaw in the original CARES Act was the one that we should have anticipated but didn't. And that was that before we could bend the curve, before we could make this program effective, even if it had been properly administered, the president got bored and anxious. He got bored with a problem that just stubbornly wouldn't go away. And he got anxious that a weak economy threatened his reelection prospects. Now, to that second one, I say, what happened to all those Wharton professors when a much younger Donald Trump was getting his great business education? Because you see, any one of those professors would have and should have told him there is no economy in the absence of public health. If people are afraid of becoming sick or they are sick, they don't go out and they don't spend money. Can't tell you how many people I know who are amazed at how much money they still have in the bank at the end of the month these days. They're not going shopping and they're not going to out to eat and so on and so forth. And they're going, wow, 
we've been frittering away a lot of money for a long time. Now, that's bad for the economy because when people don't go out and spend money, the speed with which money changes hands is reduced and that directly shrinks the size of the overall economy. In the midst of the worst public health crisis on earth, we, yes, we are 4% of the world's population and more than 25% of the COVID cases. Yep, we, the richest country on earth, sit on the edge of catastrophe because Republican senators have spent three months parroting the president's happy talk. And early this week, as a result, as a direct result, eviction notices will start to arrive across much of the country, including in Texas, where to add to 400,000 cases of COVID, they now have a, a category one or two hurricane on the Gulf Coast. Thankfully, we won't see evictions in California. That's because the governor took action with an executive order and the legislature is now working on longer term solutions. But you know what? We didn't need to get to this point. We didn't need to get to the weekend when 30 million unemployed Americans were staring at the abyss. Because way back in March when this started, Jay Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve promised enough liquidity in the economy to keep the economy going no matter what until we could bend the curve. So there was no economic reason except for the misallocation of the money in the CARES Act to speed and, and the president's political interests to speed the reopening that has led us to such catastrophic case and death numbers. Because you know what? Jay Powell was right, and he's still right. Keeping the economy going means putting money in the hands of the individual workers throughout this economy. The 30 million people who through no fault of their own have lost their jobs. You know, you put hand, money in their hands so they can pay rent or their mortgage, so they can buy food, so they can pay for health insurance and buy gasoline. People spend, spending their paychecks is what drives 70% of our economy. Yes, 70% of our economy is consumption by individuals. 80% of those paychecks that have been lost come from small businesses with less than 500 employees. The people who were supposed to be helped, but, they, but were not helped by the PPE program. And the consequences will be. There will be more small businesses closing for good. We hear about them every single day because they just cannot hang on without financial help. And you know what that means when small businesses close for good? It means more laid off workers, resulting in a longer, deeper recession than it would have been otherwise had the PPE program been properly administered. COVID-19 was a moment like the 2008 financial crisis, 
that demanded bold action and urgency. In other words, leadership. Hank Paulson told George W. Bush how bad the situation was and offered a plan to prevent a financial panic. Bush told him to do what he needed to do, and then Bush, at the end of his presidency already, took the heat for a problem that he hadn't made, but that he had inherited. And if you want to hear the whole story, it's a lesson for another day. But in the meantime, you could pick up a copy of either Too Big to Fail or Paulson's own account on the brink and read all about it. They'd been warning for years about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and derivatives and an overheated um, housing market. But that doesn't matter. You know, the past is past. The, the point I wanna make is that Hank Paulson acted. He told the president what he needed to do. The president said, go do it, and Paulson acted. He didn't ask the Bank of America if it would like to acquire Washington Mutual. He called the CEO of the Bank of America late one night and told them that the next day they were going to announce they were acquiring Washington Mutual. And the reason was that they, that was done to prevent Washington Mutual from collapsing as the mortgage industry contracted dramatically and almost overnight. Then Paulson told all the banks that they were going to take loans from the Fed, whether the balance sheet of the, that specific bank demanded the extra money or not. And the reason for that was to hide the offenders and stop, prevent a run on the banks like the one we saw in the early 1930s. <clears throat> and that allowed the FDIC time to clean up the mess without adding to the anxiety among uh, the populace that was already uh, at the boiling point. It was bold. It was quick. It was painful. And Congress rapidly approved it. And it bent the economic curve so that we had a depression instead of a, <clears throat> so that instead of a depression, we had a recession. Yes, it lasted a long time. But it what could have been twice as bad if the banks had not been held together. Plus, every penny that the Fed gave the banks was repaid to the Fed with interest, and that interest accrued to the federal government. So the federal government made uh, about $600 billion on the total TARP bailout. That's a little bit different than the current situation. But that took leadership and it took courage and it took expertise, none of which we see leading in the current situation. So yeah, I'm gonna tell you that the 2009 Obama stimulus was far from perfect. I protested many parts of it at the time but it did keep tens of thousands of small businesses across this country alive. And millions of Americans got to keep their homes. And that helped, that helped to maintain the economy until the economy righted itself, until the private economy was able to 
get balanced again and began to grow. Now it took five years, but it worked. And it worked because people were willing to step forward and take bold action. And you know, that was exactly, and that was what Jay Powell was saying when he said the Fed would support the economy way back in March. Because this is, that was exactly the type of economic action that was needed in the face of COVID-19. But the small thinkers, the self-serving chickens in the United States Senate, the same guys who blew our chance at an infrastructure bank to fuel decades of growth so they could waste that money on a sugar high of a one-time tax reduction, mainly for the top 10% of taxpayers, those same mental pygmies in the United States Senate are worrying about giving desperate, unemployed American workers $600 a week in additional unemployment because these 19th century holdovers, these plantation thinkers, are worried that giving people $600 a week in additional unemployment benefits would give them enough income that they would think about not going back to work. They haven't figured out yet that there are no jobs for these people to return to work. They don't understand as, as Niall Ferguson always reminds us, part of the importance of work is that it gives people a sense of self-worth and dignity that goes beyond the dollars in their hand, that we're a society that values work. But these mental pygmies are worried that if you give desperate people a little more money, maybe they'll just hang around on the couch. And you know what? That thinking is, that thinking is cruel. Cruel. It's not just cruel. It's also stupid. And at the risk of repeating myself, the lower 40% of taxpayers in the United States spend what they earn on necessities. And that's an accelerator in our overall economy. But what the Republican Senate has done is also very, very cynical. It says more about what motivates these self-serving politicians than it does about the people they propose to punish still further because they don't think COVID's punished them enough yet. People who are suffering a pandemic that is out of control because Congress has failed utterly to hold their administration to account for its lack of leadership. No, no, we don't need stimulus checks for everyone who filed their taxes this year. A stimulus is something that you do after the crisis has passed. It's not something to be talking about now. You need to start the recovery. That's when you need stimulus. And we are not yet near that point at which you start to see, whether it's U-shaped or V-shaped, the economy start to really grow on its own again. The 30 million unemployed Americans, a group that is growing at a pace of a million to a million and a half workers every single week, 
Those people need relief now, and they need certainty that that relief will continue until the crisis is over. Who knows? Maybe the thought that someone is sitting at home making more on unemployment than working a low-wage job will become an impetus to develop a national strategy that brings the raging wildfire of COVID-19 under control. I mean, one can hope. And perhaps $600 a week plus your state unemployment is a disincentive to work in Mississippi. I doubt it personally because there is personal value, personal worth in the dignity of work that goes beyond the dollars one earns. So maybe, maybe $600 is a disincentive in Mississippi, but I'll tell you what, it's certainly not an incentive to stay home in California or New York or probably even Nevada, maybe in Texas parts of Texas, not all of Texas, certainly not in Austin. <clears throat> so maybe what you need, if you're really worried about money, if you're really worried about not making, uh, losing your low-wage job um, to COVID-19 attractive, then, you know, at worst, at worst, Maybe it's a formula. Maybe a specific amount of state unemployment insurance, um, a, spe a specific amount that is given by the federal government over state unemployment insurance that is based on the average cost of a one-bedroom apartment's rent in that state. But that's a big but. Because the new formula will take more time to implement than just continuing the $600 per week. And we are told that it will be weeks before this is worked out, which is an unacceptable answer five days before the current CARES Act expires. <clears throat> but <clears throat> a new formula would take much more time to implement than just continuing the $600 a week, both bureaucratically, because some millions of, bu of bureaucrats, oh, I'm, I'm exaggerating, a few thousand bureaucrats at the federal and then each state level would have to make the rules. And then you'd have to try to make that work in antiquated technology, never gonna work. The $600 was hard enough for most states. So, what are the people who are worried about the government being overly generous to people who are fighting for their lives with COVID-19? What do they want to spend money on? They want to give the states money to upgrade their unemployment insurance systems so that they can more easily give less money to the unemployed. This is your government, folks. From a businesswoman's point of view, it makes no sense to truly um, to, to go deliberately out to try to hurt your customers. That's you and me, the citizenry, who pay their bills. And let me tell you that antiquated technology, Governor Newsom, California's governor, put it really well yesterday. He said, we, we have a, an unemployment insurance system, uh, IT system. Uh, which was 
state-of-the-art in 1979. Having worked with EDD on trying to replace that system some 20 years ago, I'll tell you that the governor's being generous. It's more like 1969. So in a matter of weeks, you're not going to solve that crisis. In a matter of years, you will be able to solve that crisis. And there is an opportunity for another day. But I would put the money that they're proposing to give the states to upgrade their technology right now, I would put that into the money to help people right now. Because right now is when they need the help. And I don't care. We're, we're spending money on the credit card anyway. So if we spend a few extra billion dollars and we keep people alive and roofs over their head and their children fed, is that really a bad thing? We've also got to ensure we're giving these people enough money to have access to Obamacare or to Medicaid if they lose their company health benefits. And we need that bill passed in the next couple of days, not the next couple of weeks out of the United States Senate. With a modicum, just a small dash, less arrogance and more respect. When you start to tell me in the middle of a pandemic, and my Republican bona fides go way back, but if you tell me that you're worried, you want to delay helping people, innocent people, because you're worried they might make a buck on the deal at the bottom of our income strata, you've lost your soul and you've lost your purpose for being a member of the world's most expensive and inefficient deliberative body. The objective of running for office is to serve the people who elect you, not to be served by them. So here's the good news. Citizens, including those 30 million plus who are unemployed, will have an opportunity to put some of those senators and some of the House members on the unemployment line themselves come this November. And yes, both the conservative in me and the businesswoman in me worries constantly about the burden of the national debt. And yes, I worry about the further burden that this pandemic is putting on that national debt. But I'm a citizen and a human being before I'm either politically active or a businesswoman. And we Americans are all in this mess together. And the only way out at the other end of this very long tunnel is for each of us to reach back and to pull the person behind of us out of the tunnel and into the light. Once we're past that tunnel, we can turn our attention to growing the, the gross domestic product and reducing the debt with sound national fiscal policy. Right this very moment, the objective is to save lives and save families. That has to happen this week. And then next week, Congress can turn its attention to helping states and schools to weather the storm in a separate stimulus package. Yes, we've got to agree on a total number at some point, not that it really matters, 
in the aggregate, but right this very moment, we've got to save lives and save families. And only when we are past the COVID crisis, as Europe and the rest of the developed world is, only then can we turn our attention to the massive task of rebuilding our economy and rebuilding it with equity and justice for all. And that's when unemployment incentives will, or disincentives, depend, you know, if, if we believe uh, the senators to be right, will begin to matter. But right this very moment, they don't matter a whit. And I'm trying to figure out what political benefit there is. Right now, we've got to save lives and families. That is the only national priority. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.